Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning. It is a uh, delight to be here on behalf of uh, Dr. Deb Schwinn from Palm Beach Atlantic and uh, Dr. Jimmy Scroggins from Family Church, a.k.a. Scroggy Doggy. Uh, Dr. Aiken, thank you for this kind invitation. I'm really honored uh, to get to be here with you. The Lord doesn't speak to me very often. It's always through his word, but during the music, he did speak to me. And if you're considering Southeastern, uh, the Lord said, this is the place for you. Heard it loud and clear. Uh, I'm just kidding. We, we want you to be where God wants you to be. Um, so if you choose to go somewhere else, that's your problem, your fault. You have the right to be wrong. Uh, I think it's here. Uh, d- doctor, I've had the privilege of connecting with a number of college and seminary presidents over the years. And I must confess, and I've told him this before, Dr. Aiken is the coolest one uh, I know. Uh, last time I came, I brought a coat and a tie, and someone said, Whatever you do, please do not wear that. He's going to wear cargo pants, a polo shirt, and Tom shoes. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And I saw him that morning, and he was wearing polo shirt, cargo pants, and Tom shoes. And I think today will probably be the same thing. It's just it's a little nippy uh, outside. Let's pray, and we will jump into uh, God's word. Father, may you continue to be glorified this morning. May your people be edified and may your enemies be horrified. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock, our redeemer. Please speak to us in the way that only you can through your word your precious word that's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, powerful. It's a fire that purifies and warms. It's a hammer that removes but also builds. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his reputation alone. And all who agreed with that said, amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And while you're turning to Genesis 22, what you see in this passage is is a test. Tests. Uh, some of you are pondering tests and maybe retaking some tests. SAT, ACT, MCAT, GRE, CPA test, bar, midterm, final, quiz, credit check, blood test, stress test, COVID test. Wow, so many tests. I hate taking tests. I don't mind giving them. The year was 2006. I had just finished taking seven five-hour comprehensive exams to receive my, my doctorate in New Testament studies, and then I had to take an oral exam. They gave me several months to prepare between the written exams and the oral exam, and I prayed, I fasted, I told everyone to pray for me, and they did. Mom, grandparents, wife, kids, cousins I didn't even know I had. This is very common coming from a Cuban background. You call everybody cousin, even though you don't really know them. Cousins were praying for me. Pastors and every place I had preached before knew that I was getting ready. Uh, The U.S., the Caribbean, Central, and South America. 
My new bosses were praying for me, a vice president, a president of a university. The entire chapel service where I was preaching was praying during my exam. I was taking the exam in Dallas. They were praying in West Palm Beach. The exam was going well. There were four examiners, and um, everything was fine. I felt pretty good, was feeling confident, felt like I was on a, a roll. Until it got to uh, one professor that always had a way of making me nervous. This wasn't by intention. He's a godly man, a warm-hearted man. Uh, but to me, Dan Wallace was the quintessential fire-breathing dragon professor. He'd walk into class with his Greek New Testament, taught via Socratic method. You would answer questions until you would crack, and then he would move on to the next victim. <laughs> I had been through that before. I had been prayed up. I thought it was fine. It was a big test, biggest test of my life. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with anxiety, self-doubt. I took out the Greek New Testament turned to several passages with him. One was a, a book in the New Testament I had studied before, had translated before, had even helped some other students with their Greek with this book. But for some reason this morning, it looked like Mandarin to me. It was awful. They ask you to step out, and, um, and they talk. And they, you hear them, you know, I put my ear to the door, heard them laugh a little bit, talk a little bit more. They came in. I knew because of the countenance of their faces, I wasn't going to get good news. And they said, we're sorry you failed. I thought this, I didn't realize I said it out loud. I said, come on. <laughs> you know, I know this. And they said, well, you do, but you, um, you froze can't send a minister out into the world that's going to freeze. I only had one other opportunity to retake the tests and pass. If I fail, I fail. I'm out. Two years of residency. Dr. Aiken, you know, German, French, odd languages that they want you to look into. All of that for nothing. I, I hadn't failed in a really long time. I, had, I hadn't failed academically like that ever. I was embarrassed, I was humbled, I was broken, I was ashamed. I had to tell everyone, all of those people that I mentioned that I failed. They thought I was kidding. I had to tell my kids I failed. God was testing me. While you're here at Southeastern, he's going to test you as well. In Genesis chapter 22, he's testing Abraham. And I want us to, to look at this test, not like a sleepy spectator, but I want us to look at this same test because we will be tested in the same way. Maybe not doing the exact same thing, but God will ask you and me the exact same question. Essentially, am I enough for you? Am I sufficient for you? Am I your number one priority? Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. We will return. Hmm. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, son. Behold, uh, fire's here, wood's here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son my translation god's got this so they went both of them together when they came to the place that god had told him abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son what a disturbing set of words. Hmm. We keep reading. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be Provided. We'll stop there for now. Let's go back up to verse 1. It says, after these things. We're seeing Abraham, and we're seeing that he's going to pass a test, and you will be tested. And by looking at Abraham's life, we can see what we need to do in order to pass the test. It says, after these things. After what things? After God called Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 to leave your mother and your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. And we tend to look at Abraham um, as a hero of the faith, which he is, but he stumbles a lot. He, he falls a lot. Now, the wonderful thing about Abraham, because of his faith, is he falls forward, but he, he does fall a lot. He takes Lot with him. God didn't tell him to take Lot with him. Perhaps Lot was a plan B. He goes into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and when there's a famine, he's the first one out of the land of Canaan, and he goes to Egypt. Since God was powerful enough to lead him to the land of Canaan, was God not going to be powerful enough to provide for him? Then we, he's in Egypt. He tells his wife, Sarah, Sarah, let's, um, let's not tell them that we're married. Takes off his wedding ring, puts it in his pocket. Tell them you're my sister, because if they know we're married, they'll probably kill me. 
I was thinking, what would my wife say if I told her, hey, just for today, let's pretend that we're not married because uh, I don't want to be killed. She would say, uh, no. <laughs> if the Lord wants to call you home today, I guess he's going to call you home today married, but he's going to call you home today. Yeah, no, we're, we're not playing that game. Abraham doesn't do that once. He does that twice. God takes too long according to Abraham's time frame and sleeps with Hagar, and then they have Ishmael. Impatient. It was taking too long to have kids, and we call Ishmael the son of being in a hurry. Isaiah 28, 16 says, He that believeth on the Lord does not make haste. So there's this fiery test. So after these things, after what things? Abraham, after you have fallen forward so many times, now we're going to see really where you are. Now we're going to see if you could pass the test, God's test to him. And we'll see three things, three indicators of how he passed the, passed the test. And maybe these three indicators will, will help you when you're tested. Because at a great institution like this, that's what happens. God's not just developing your intellect. He's developing your heart. He's building your character. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that institutions like Southeastern that are founded on the Word of God realize that there certainly is a core syllabus, but in addition to that, God has a syllabus for your life. And you don't get to read that one in advance. You just have to trust him. And that's the wonderful thing about godly presidents and professors and staff and alumni. First thing we see here is when tested, this test, the test that God gives, it always results in surrender. It results in surrender. Friend, when God tests you, don't be surprised. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is, this is normal. James, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Don't be surprised. You're either in a test, you're either coming out of a test, or you will go into a test when the test comes. I, I don't like tests, but they often happen. The test reveals where you are. I had a neighbor growing up. His name was Travis. Travis was very good at skateboarding. Uh, one day... Travis, uh, who had red hair, by the way, we're Cuban. I had never seen anybody with red hair before. Uh, that's kind of, that was unusual to me. And so whenever I would talk to Travis, I would stare at his hair. You know those people that they're kind of staring at you, but they're not really listening to what you're saying. They're just kind of, and, um, and I would touch his hair. I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen before. Great at skateboarding. One day, landed wrong on his skateboard on his hand, and the bone came out of his arm. I was horrified and amazed at the same time. I said, bro, that's your bone, right? We are seeing your bone. 
rushed to go get his mom, needed to take him to the hospital. I said, can I go with you? Yes. Go to the hospital, Baptist Hospital in Miami, Florida. Pediatric unit immediately. Wait a little bit. Doctor comes, throws the uh, x-ray film, which they probably don't even use anymore. It's on an iPad or something, but they throw the film up on this light device, and he says, it's broken. <laughs> I start laughing, thinking, uh, I can see it. It's here. We, we didn't need to take a picture of it to know that it was broken. He said, no, 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 but the x-ray just it reveals everything that's there. We can know if there's any other things, if there's bone fragments, if there's chips, if, um, if his wrist is broken. You're just looking at the bone that you could see that the x-ray is not meant to fix the problem. It's meant to reveal the problem. And so when God tests our lives, it's not to fix us. It's to reveal what's there. Ultimately, he's the great physician. He will fix. He will help us. But before he heals, he, he reveals. And that major failure resulted in a lot of revealing, a lot of soul-searching, a lot of wondering, God, are you, have you called me to what I thought you were calling me to? Should it be this difficult? Why are you, why are you breaking me? We see for Abraham, it results in surrender. We will return to you. How was Abraham so sure that he was going to return with his son Isaac back to his servants? One commentator says, if God can give Isaac from a dead womb, he can certainly give me Isaac from a charred altar. When the time of test comes, will you trust? Will you surrender? So he's asking you and me this morning, am I enough for you? Is he your number one priority? Maybe something you could do if you're a student at Southeastern is, um, I don't know if this happens here, but I struggled with bondage to grades. I really wanted to impress my professors. I wanted them to like me, and performing well is, is, um, is the way I thought they're going to like me more. It was an idol. I'd get an A in a class, but an F in my spiritual life. The way I was treating my, my wife, we were just married, or maybe the way I was treating my friends. Or maybe choosing to spend more time studying a paradigm than the Word of God. I was convicted of that, and they used to return your papers uh, to the mail room. And um, I stopped looking at my grades. I would uh, receive the paper, fold it, and I'd write grace on it. And I would put it away. I wouldn't even look at the professor's comments. I don't think I've ever said that publicly. It's not that I didn't care about what they said. I just, I didn't want to be in bondage to grace. So I would just write grace. It's God's grace that I get to study your word. It's God's grace that institutions like this exist. It's grace. This is enough prosperity grade conversation, but my grades went up when I stopped um, 
worrying so much about what my professors thought about me. It results in surrender, but the second thing you see is he actually chooses to sacrifice. Immediately, Abraham does what God wants him to do. It took him less than than 24 hours to obey God. If God told me, hey, take your son, one of your son, well, actually, one of them, it might be easy to do this, but take the other one and um, offer him, I'd say, come again, Lord. Can you send me a text instead? I'm not... I don't think I'm quite understanding what you're asking me to do. I would pray, I would fast, I would seek counsel, I would look for advice, I would Google stuff. You don't have any of this here. The text doesn't provide us with any emotional anguish. He obeys. He doesn't murmur, he doesn't complain, he doesn't cuss, he doesn't fuss. Uh, Here I am, what do you want? Give me your best. And Abraham says, okay. Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable, perfect. Your worship has to cost you something, a costly sacrifice. David said, I shall not worship the Lord with that which costs me nothing. People want costless worship. They want to worship that... It doesn't involve any sacrifice. Let me put it another way. What has God asked you to put a knife in for his cause, for his call in your life? Who is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? What have you brought to the altar and said, God, this is all yours. This belongs to, this belongs to you. When was the last time you did that? The history of our faith is one of costly risk to introduce the Christian faith to people who have never heard Jesus. Many say these risks, they're foolish, that these people are fanatics. But that's what Jesus did. He left the comforts of heavenly home to save the lost. One of my heroes is a missionary named C.T. Studd. He's a real spiritual stud. I read multiple biographies of his, and when our firstborn was going to be born, I said, hey, could we call him C.T.? She said, C.T. Cueto? No, it doesn't go well. I said, could we call him Stud then, with two Ds? She said, yeah, and then they're going to look at his dad and say no. (laughs) So we went with Bernie Jr., C.T. Studd is a pioneering missionary. He grew up in English privilege, considered one of the greatest athletes of his day in a sport known as cricket. It's like baseball, but not as good. He traveled the entire British Empire competing. He realized that he, this had become his idol, and ultimately he surrendered his life to Christ at a Dwight Moody crusade. His family laughed at him. He went to China. He dressed like someone who lived in China, learned the Chinese language, ate their food, embraced their culture. When his dad died, he bequeathed to him a small fortune. He came from a very wealthy family, and like Hudson Taylor, he gave it all away. And he said God would provide, and he did. Then he read an article that said, cannibals want missionaries. And so he responded. He said, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. He felt 
God say, I dare you to go back and spend the remainder of your days in England, knowing that these masses who have never heard of Jesus Christ, he was filled with resolve, began to live what he called reckless Christianity. I like that. His commitment to mission was absolutely inflexible. No sacrifice was too great. The cost to obey his Savior was worth it. And he's asking you this morning, am I enough for you? Am I number one in your life? Or do you, do you have an Isaac that's overshadowing our relationship? Lastly, you see, it doesn't, doesn't just result in surrender. It doesn't just choose to sacrifice. It receives a substitute. Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will, God will provide. That's, that's God's problem. He will provide himself a lamb. God's, God's got this. Old Testament commentator Alan Ross writes, Isaac would be brought twice, once from a dead womb and now from a high altar. Another preacher said it was the birth only God could give and the rescue from death only God could provide. <laughs> One day Isaac's great descendant, Jesus the Messiah, would offer a new birth who put their faith in him. The key word in this passage, there's multiple ones, but the key word is provide. It's used three times. We used to sing an old song a long time ago called Jehovah Jireh, my provider. This word to provide is really God sees. It's what he names the place. God sees. God will, God will see to it. Friend, there'll be a come in your uh, time in your life this morning. There will come a day in your life where, where he will ask you to do something. And you will reach that point where you've said, Lord, I have done everything I can do. Now you must do what only you could do. What only he can do. Will you trust him? Abraham did everything that he could do, and now it was time for God to do what only God could do. Would he? So I failed that test miserably, and um, about three weeks had passed. I got home from work on a Friday, and I received a phone call, and it's Dr. Dan Wallace. And he said, uh, Bernie, I said, yes. He said, do you have some time? I said, yes. He said, could you go to a room just with your Greek New Testament? I said, Yes. He said, do you have some earbuds you could put on? I said, I put some earbuds on. He said, you only have your Greek New Testament, nothing else. It's pre-FaceTime. I said, yes, just my Greek New Testament. He started asking me questions. He started easy. Just uh, softball questions. And then they got progressively harder, and he grilled me for an hour. He said, all right, son, you've, you've done well. I'm going to call you next week on Friday. Does this time work? Did it again. He did it for about three or four Fridays in a row. Built my confidence. Helped me. 
I didn't have any relationship with him apart from this little encounter, but this is one of the most meaningful things in my entire doctoral process. He wasn't one of my readers. He wasn't an advisor. I avoided him. <laughs> I thought he was crazy. <laughs> he created a, a, a Greek monster. When I went in to retake the exam, I mean, I was taking no prisoners. It was awesome. I probably forgot most of that stuff, but but I passed. God provided. I surrendered, and I passed. That's just a silly exam. While you're here, he's going to test you. You need to surrender. You need to realize he's going to provide a substitute. You need to realize that you need to do everything that you could do. And then let God do what only God could do. Stop divorcing your academic pursuits from your worship life. I want to discourage you from having a wall in between those two. Ask God to abate the wall, to destroy it. I want you to see everything as worship. Study theology on your knees if you have to. Learn about the cultures of the world on your knees. It's all his. Don't separate those two things. Last thing I want to say, this, this is probably the best part of all. This location is Mount Moriah. Moriah, it's just a couple hundred feet from another mount. We call Mount Calvary, Golgotha. Abraham looked up and he saw Mount Moriah. And just as Isaac was put on the altar 2,000 years ago, another father put his son not on an altar, but on a cross. Just as Abraham took his son back, so God the Father also took his son back. And the Bible says that he is presently interceding on our behalf. He knows what you know even before you know it. And he intercedes. He, he looks out for you. He, he provides. He's ready to bless, ready to provide, ready to deliver. But you need to get up. You need to get out. You need to bring your Isaac to the altar and know that you fear him. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you and I can ask or think. He's able to raise you up, to put you on solid ground, but he needs your Isaac to leave the house and come to the altar because he will always provide. And so the question for us is, is he enough? Is he sufficient? If he is, praise God. Keep up the good work. But if there's an Isaac in your heart currently sitting on the throne of your life, let's give him back to God and do what only he could do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We cherish it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Help us to not be surprised when you test us, not as a whimsical judge who's curious, but as a God who wants to reveal to his children what currently is in their hearts. May, like Abraham, we surrender. May we always be able to say that you are enough. May we choose to, to sacrifice and forgive us from offering you costless worship instead of a reckless Christianity that knows that you will provide.
Would you help us to receive your substitute? And the number one substitute is Jesus Christ. May we always look to, to him. And thank you for being able to exceedingly abundantly provide above all we ask or, or think. And friend, I just want to challenge you as we sing this last song, whatever Isaac is roaming the halls of your life right now. Take him to the altar. Let God do what only he could do. It might be your academic pursuits. It might be a relationship. It might be a stronghold over a struggle that you're trying to break. Whatever it is, you take it to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his reputation alone. And all of God's children said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.